Let's begin in verse 6. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never come, able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. But you have carefully, carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that your word will outlive the heavens and the earth. We thank you, Lord, that you, you tell us the truth, and we value the truth. Lord, we know, Jesus, that you began many teachings by saying, Amen, amen, or most assuredly, I say to you, you want us to know the truth. And we are so grateful, Lord, as we study these verses and this book, verse by verse, Lord, that you have the opportunity to speak into our lives by your Holy Spirit and to speak to us and instruct us and exhort us and encourage us and convict us and guide us as your Holy Spirit desires. So now, Lord, we recognize this as a privilege to study together as a family We pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and that he would make needed application where he sees fit. We want to not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word by your grace and by your power. So we yield our lives to you now. Speak to us whatever you want to speak to us about. We, your servants, are listening, and we want to be obedient to you, thus bringing you glory. So we commit it to you. We pray that you'd set this time aside for your holy use, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We continue with Paul bearing his heart to young Timothy. Paul's at the end of his life, as we've been looking at. He's in a a, a dungeon. He's in a Roman prison, a stinking, rotten prison. Right in the middle of the time where Rome is unleashing its, its persecution from Caesar Nero. Nero set the city on fire. He blamed the Christians for it. And now there's just... Wave after wave after wave of persecution coming on the church. And thus Paul has been uh, carried away to prison and he's writing his last letter in the New Testament. He's writing his very last words to young Timothy. And what Paul is trying to accomplish in Timothy is very simple. Not simple to accomplish, (laughs) but it's simple in terms of the concept and how God can bring that into our lives. 
if we die to self. And that is the development of our character. As we've seen, 1 Timothy is about how the church should function. 2 Timothy is how Timothy should function, his character. And no calling and no ministry can go beyond what our personal character is. And that all comes from having a daily communion and a moment-by-moment communion and time with with God and, and fellowship with him so he can build us up and strengthen us by his Holy Spirit to be the men and women that he's calling us to be. So Paul is writing these very important things. At the end of your life, you say the most important things you want to say to somebody, things that you want to have that stick with them. And Paul is bearing his heart to, to, to young Timothy and saying these things. And it originated with, in chapter 1 by Paul saying, share with me in the sufferings that I'm going through. Um, we saw that, uh, it, you know, in last, last week that, that the Apostle Paul just cried out and, and, and explained to young Timothy that perilous times would come. Look at the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1. He says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but, not, but denying the power, and from such uh, people turn away. He said perilous or fierce times would, would come in the last days. We saw last week that the last days began Jesus' public ministry when he started uh, revealing truth to mankind about the kingdom of God. Hebrews chapter 1 reveals that. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. That's when the last days began. But there's an increasing wickedness that he's speaking about here, as we saw, that Matthew 24 mentions, that evilness will, or wickedness will increase. And so because it's in Matthew 24, this description, and we know that in Matthew 24, these birth pains would increase in intensity and, and uh, frequency, that because of that, that these things are actually increasing even more beyond when, than when the, the, the last days begin in Jesus' public ministry. In other words, we're going to see wickedness increase and increase and increase even in the last of the last days as we are in now. And so he's bearing his heart and, and pouring out his heart to Timothy and saying that it's going to get worse and worse. People are going to be lovers of themselves. They're going to be man-centered. They're going to be you know, loving pleasure more than loving God. And what a horrible, horrible description. If anything, God obviously deserves worship and obedience in, with this world and what he's done and how he's blessed this world in many ways. He doesn't need and shouldn't have to have to deal with wickedness in this world. But that's, that's what uh, it exists. And that's what we've seen. And it's increasing in our day. But the context of those five verses, what we saw last week, is very interesting. Because he's not describing atheists. <laughs> he's not describing skeptics. He's not describing those that are, you know, heathen. Or, he's describing religious people. If you see in verse 5, he says, and we looked at this last week, having a form of godliness, but denying the power. These people have an outward form of holiness or godliness. They look great on the outside in, in many respects. But inwardly, they're, they're not Christians. 
And they are making a mockery of the power of God because they're not uh, you know, uh, appropriating that power in their lives to live the kind of life that, that God paid an incredible price in, in the cross of Christ for, the, for, for that to happen. And so they're denying that power. They're not living according to that power, even though outwardly they're making it look like that's the case. And, and, and so that's the context. Now, as Paul finishes chapter 3, as we're going to look at this morning, Paul's going to contrast Timothy with these people. And he's going to be focusing on specifically those that are false teachers. And so he's going to go back and forth, mentioning something about Timothy, and then going back to these false teachers, and then mentioning something about Timothy, and going back to these false teachers. And you see that by the words, but you. You see in verse 10, if you look down at verse 10, he says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine. And then if you go down to verse 14, he says, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and so on. So he goes back and forth. These hypocrites who are uh, teaching false things and taking advantage of people. He deals with a little bit of them. Then he goes back to Timothy and says, that isn't you. And then he goes back to them and he goes back to Timothy. That isn't you. And it, it, it encourages us, and, it, and I know that it encouraged Timothy, to see that we are the legitimate, genuine article. He's already told Timothy, your faith is genuine. And, and he's validated the reality of Timothy's faith already. But as he keeps going back and forth from these false teachers to Timothy, false teachers to Timothy, he is demonstrating to Timothy that he is the genuine article. But he's encouraging them, him to continue to endure. And that's been the theme as we've seen all the way through the verses today, to endure, to endure, to endure. There were people that were falling away, even leaders He's, he's mentioned already have fallen away. He's going to mention Demas coming up in the next chapter that loved this present world. Everybody's falling away because of persecution ramping up. And it's, and it's actually having a purifying effect, and it's revealing who's genuine and who isn't genuine. But Timothy, even as a leader, even as a pastor of the church, he needs to be encouraged to endure, and he's susceptible to a lot of things, just like anybody else. Anyone tells you that leaders or pastors are not susceptible to, to, uh, to everything that everyone else is susceptible to is lying and not representing Scripture. I think many times he has us what we're in the middle of what we're doing because we're more vulnerable and we have to be in God's Word more and be in prayer more and all those things. Uh, that's been said before, and I agree with it. But at the rest of these verses, as we'll see, he's going to encourage Timothy in two things. He's going to encourage him to continue walking in the example that he's already seen. And secondly, he's going to continue, encourage Timothy to uh, continue in the word of God. Those two things are protection for Timothy related to enduring these difficult days that he's experiencing. And it's, it's relevant for us as well. It's just going to get worse and worse in our day. And, and God has placed people in our lives as an example, and he's placed the word of God in our lives, and that will be the preserving effect in our lives to help us endure difficulty and persecution. Now notice in verses 6 and 7, Paul describes the victims of these false teachers. He says in verse 6, For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. He says, these creep. They're creeps. 
Maybe that's where that came from. They're creeps, uh, and they creep. And, and really what it's saying, literally, it's saying they worm their way in. They're not really, you know, invited or, or brought in in an aggressive way. They worm their way in. It reminds me of some salesmen sometimes that want to get that foot in the door. You know, they, they want to—I'm not picking on if you do door-to-door sales, you know, God bless that. I mean, you need a lot of grace for that. Uh, but, you know, traditionally you've had the vacuum— salesman that comes in and wants to throw dirt on your carpet so he can vacuum it up and you don't want to let him in and it's like bumps and oh there's dirt in in your in your hallway in your entryway here let me take care of that for you and there you just get the sense that my door isn't thick enough <laughs> you know it's like it's not strong enough to keep people out and that's kind of the picture they worm their way in and he describes these these uh Women. Now, he doesn't just focus just on women. I mean, it's not just that only women are gullible or anything like that. Men don't get too excited. Uh, he's, you're gullible too. We're all gullible at times. But these people, these women were the people that were at home the most. And, and so the, the, the men potentially were at work or whatever, and, and the women were at home. And so these men would come in and they would worm their way in. And he describes these women as gullible, as sinful, as lustful. And in verse 7, we're told that they're always learning but not coming to the knowledge of the truth, not able to come to the knowledge of the the truth. But he doesn't stop there. Because these verses are so vivid, it also describes these false teachers because they're people who come in and take people captive because he says to make captives of gullible women. We also see that they lead people away by enticement. It's not, they don't just straightforward represent what they're about. They entice with other things. And three, they teach what's considered knowledge, but not the gospel truth. You ever been around someone that loves to learn? They, they just reading, 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 reading all the time, but they don't really understand and have discernment and really understand the truth about what God is saying. There are people that read the Bible all the way through that don't know God at all. And they can't fully understand it because it's, they need to have spiritual uh, glasses through which they can read and understand uh, the, the scriptures which are, which are spirit in their life, Jesus said. And they can't, they can't weigh spiritual things because they don't have the capacity for that. So they're always learning but never coming to the knowledge of of the truth. So this is a bad commentary on both groups, on the false teacher, but also on the, the recipient there. And the, the common denominator between both, the, both of them is both groups are not grounded in the word of God. The false teacher doesn't, isn't representing the word of God, doesn't know the word of God, doesn't trust the word of God, doesn't recognize that the word of God is against what they're doing, so they're not grounded in God's word. And then the recipient, these gullible women or these people that are susceptible, they're not grounded in the word of God either because, or else they would test what these false teachers are saying and they would see that it's false. And so that's the common denominator between both those groups. Now, in verses 8 and 9, we see that Paul compares these false teachers to two examples in the Old Testament. Look with me there. He says, now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses... So do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. Now, Janus and Jambres, however you say it, I know it's not ombre, um, it's Jambres or something related, but you may remember them from Exodus chapter 7. 
because you remember with Pharaoh and Moses and so forth, Pharaoh had these magicians, and these magicians, uh, you know, they weren't given names in Exodus, but here we see their names. And tradition, Jewish tradition had that as their names, and the Holy Spirit basically tells us that tradition was correct because he inspired Paul to write these things. So these magicians' names uh, are listed for us, but they tried to duplicate, and they did duplicate to a point, what Moses and Aaron were about related to the miracles that were going on because Moses was told to have Aaron throw down his staff and the staff uh, turned into a snake and then these magicians did the same thing. And then uh, Moses had Aaron touch the Nile and, and it turned the water of the Nile into blood and the magicians did the same thing. Then he, Moses was able by the Lord, of course, to bring frogs out and frogs just invaded the whole land and the magicians did the same thing. And that's a lesson for us because just because something's real and supernatural doesn't mean it's right and, and biblical. And so, again, it, it's another, uh, it speaks of another need for us to be able to have the Word of God to test things, to know whether or not those things are true. But there was a limitation related to these miracles and these magicians because when, when, they, when uh, Aaron or Moses struck the land with the staff and the dust turned into lice and the lice invaded everything, they couldn't duplicate that. And those magicians said, this is the finger of God. So even those uh, magicians who were resisting Moses, they ended up being a testimony against uh, Pharaoh because out of their own mouths they testified to Pharaoh that what, what's going on here is beyond what we can uh, duplicate. It's, it's from God himself. The, and it was a judgment on all their false gods because each judgment represented and each plague represented judgment on their false gods. And so that's what Paul's bringing up here. And, and really what they were is, were counterfeiters. And they had rebellious hearts. That's what he's saying. They resisted Moses. Every time that Moses and Aaron performed a miracle, it was a testimony to those magicians that they were up against God himself. And they resisted. They should have repented. Once, once uh, they threw down that staff and it turned into a snake, they should have repented right there and got on their knees and said, we're not, we're not going to follow Pharaoh anymore. We're going to follow the true and living God. But they resisted. And they went to the next miracle and the next miracle. It wasn't until the lice plague that they finally uh, said that this is the finger of God. And they ultimately never repented. And so that's the illustration that he's bringing up for Timothy to see. That these false teachers who have a form of godliness but deny the power to live a godly life, demonstrating that they're not legitimate, those are resisting the truth. God is working with them, trying to get them to repent and turn to him but they are resisting that. And he's contrasting Timothy with those uh, people. Now, Paul reminds Timothy of the example that God put into his life in verses 10 and 11. He says, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. So this is the first time we see the contrast, those two words in the beginning of verse 10, but you. So he's saying, you're not like them. And, and again, this is the first of two times that he, he does this and says, but you, and contrast these false teachers with Timothy. And Paul doesn't say to Timothy that he's just casually followed 
these things. Notice he uses the word carefully. I don't, we, that can be missed in verse 10. He carefully followed Paul's doctrine and these, and these other things. And the word follow has the word road built into it. It's like when you go on a road and you carefully follow it and you follow its path. That's the picture. When Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, when he talks about the, in the beginning where he followed these truths and interviewed people and did investigation, he uses the same word. It, it's somebody that sees the direction that they're supposed to go and, and it doesn't go one way or the other and just stays right on track. You're locked on. That's how we like to say it in our vernacular. He's locked on. Timothy was locked on and followed with precision Paul's life and his, and his doctrine. And it's not just the fun stuff that he followed. In verse 11, he said persecutions and afflictions. Man, we wish that beginning of verse 11 wasn't there. I wish it was just all easy stuff. But Jesus said, in this life you will face tribulation. That's a promise that we don't usually have in the little promise <laughs> you know, uh, boxes that have all the flowery and encouraging promises. We usually don't include that promise. And he's going to get to another promise that's related to that uh, in a moment. But he says, you followed my doctrine. You followed my purpose. You followed my faith, the long-suffering, all these things that he watched. Now, he mentions Antioch here, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. And this isn't talking about Antioch of Syria. Antioch of Syria is where Paul began his three missionary journeys and ended his three missionary journeys. Antioch of Syria, he began there in each journey and ended up there and reported back to the church. He's not talking about that Antioch. He's talking about Antioch in Turkey, the place, the area that Timothy was from. And Timothy met Paul on his missionary journeys there and became a, a kind of a, um, an understudy of the Apostle Paul and eventually went with him on these missionary journeys, specifically his third missionary journey. So, Timothy's had a lot of exposure to Paul. He's seen him live day in and day out. It's just like what, what happened with the, the 12, with the Lord Jesus. They saw, they lived with him. They, they, they uh, had exposure to him for, you know, ongoing from one day to the next for over three years. And they got, to, he got, they got to see what he was really about. It wasn't just somebody that taught information and was detached and didn't get to know, uh, the, you know the student or anything like that. He, he followed all those things and saw his life and what it represented, his purpose in life, his, his trust in the Lord, his ability to be patient, you know, have love for other people, to be other-centered with people, and to persevere in difficulty and go through incredible hardship. And it just brings to mind how God does that in each of our lives too. God puts people in our lives, examples for us. There's seven men that God, seven mentors that God has placed in my life and the last 22 years of walking with the Lord. Each one of those seven men have been greatly used in my life. Very much different, different gifts, different things to say regarding my life and what I needed, which is a lot. Uh, and I thank God for those men, and I still pray for them. I still talk to them at times, and and I'm very thankful. But all of us, it's not just for leaders. All of us, God places people in our lives to watch, and we learn so much more by watching, don't we, than 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 hearing words. As much as those are wonderful things, but what's important for us, first of all, is to recognize those people. And to recognize that it's God himself that has placed those people in our lives. And to be thankful for those people. To pray for them. To encourage them. 
So much of what Paul says here, as we've already seen, is, I remember your tears, Timothy. I remember, you know, he's, Timothy's ministry to Paul can't be overlooked here. Timothy had a great ministry to Paul, and it made a, a, a huge difference in Paul's life. Paul's development was occurred in part by these people that he was discipling. And so we have to, first of all, recognize these people that God has placed in our lives, to listen to them. God's given them instruction for us to help us for our good. But the other part of that, the kind of the other side of the coin, is to think about who God's placed, whose lives God's placed us in the middle of to be that person for them. And so often in the middle of a trial, and I've said this many times, so often in the middle of a difficult trial, there's somebody there that's watching. Paul probably wasn't focused a lot on how Timothy was viewing his persecutions back in Lystra and Iconium. Now, Antioch of Turkey, he was ran out of the city. In Iconium, they tried to stone him. He escaped. And then in Lystra, they took him outside of the city and they did stone him. And, and he, many people believe, died. And when he talks about being knew a man that was uh, exalted to the third heaven and so forth, that he's speaking of himself. And he said he heard inexpressible things that are not lawful to utter. That very well could have been the time where he was brought outside the city in the trash heap of the city and after being stoned and left there for dead. And, and, and God brought him back and he went back to that city. Timothy saw that. Every part of what happened to Paul during that time wasn't wasted on Timothy. And Paul's referring Timothy back to remember that, to remember what he went through. Because Timothy's going to experience this. Timothy's going to experience martyrdom eventually. Timothy's going to go through difficulty. This whole entire book, as we've seen, is to try to get Timothy to endure through godly character. That's the theme of the whole book, to endure through godly character. And and Paul isn't wasting any of these things to say, you know what you've seen in me. Now, continue in these things. So, verse 12, he says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Again, another promise that we don't have in our promise books. We don't see a lot of books written on it in the Christian bookstores. They're not the best sellers. We don't see plaques that people put on their wall saying, you know, yes, I'm excited. Those who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. I'm claiming that promise. We don't usually do that. But it's true. And if we didn't go through the scriptures verse by verse, we may never even see this as a body, as a family together. And, and that's the importance of going through verse by verse. We don't miss anything. But he doesn't say, if only if you're a missionary, you're going to uh, experience persecution. Or if you're a leader, you're going to suffer persecution. He doesn't even say those who live godly lives. He said those who desire, one step back, those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. No one's excluded. It's for everybody. And in our man-centered culture, where we just, in our consumer mentality of everything's about me, and he just got done talking about lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, we have to watch out for all those things. We can forget that God has us in the middle of something far greater than, than what we might expect. But the key is, having a desire to live a godly life is yielding my life over to him. And when I do that, he changes me. And I become more like Jesus. I start saying the, saying, saying the things that Jesus says. I start doing the things that Jesus does. That's what a disciple is. And so I'm going to receive the persecution that Jesus received. It's, it's like a mathematical equation. 
you do and say what Jesus says, you're going to get the persecution that Jesus got or received. And, and so he says, don't think that this is going to be different for you. Like there's an exception for you than there was for me, Timothy. It, you know, and Timothy, by this point, has already been in prison. And he's, it's not going to be the, the last time. We have to be very careful about how we live our lives and how we can live our lives in a way where we can insulate and protect ourselves in such a way to where we don't receive persecution. We're not obeying the Great Commission. We're not preaching the gospel to people. We're not living a righteous life in the sense of being holy and taking a stand. I don't mean obnoxiously and rude and being, uh, you know, where you're telling, judging people in a way or talking to people in a way that turns them off. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just living a pure life, but taking a stand, being salt and light in this world, taking a stand for what's right, you're going to receive persecution. So the question I have to ask myself is, even in this, this country that doesn't have a lot of persecution like other countries, I have to ask myself, am I living the kind of life that would cause people to persecute me? That's a, that's a searching question that the Holy Spirit can take and work through our lives. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 26, Woe to you if all men speak well of you. We could just take a walk with that verse and meditate on that for a long time. Woe to you if all men speak well of you. Because all men aren't holy. All men are sinful. And if they're speaking well of you, likely we are living in a way to where we make sinful people comfortable around us. And, and we should be salt. You know, salt is an irritant. <laughs> you know, salt stings. When you put salt on a wound, it stings, but it purifies. And if we don't have that stinging sensation coming through our lives by being appropriate and loving, but yet firm with what the standards are that God lays out in his word, then we're going to lose our saltiness. And God doesn't want that for us. Verse 13, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Timothy could have had, held out a hope. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. Nope. It's not going to get better, Timothy. It's going to get worse and worse. People are going to be deceiving and yet being deceived. And, and that answers the question for us. How can these people go around deceiving all the time? How can they do that? Well, it's because they're deceived. They're, they're, many people aren't purposely deceiving people. They're just believing a lie and they're perpetuating that lie in other people. And so that's the motivation uh, there. And, but yet there are people that know they're doing things that are de- deceitful. And so, uh, but he says they are deceived as well. Even the people that are knowingly deceiving people, they're deceived in the sense that they're going to get away with it, that God's going to let them get away with that. And, and they're, they're going to have the final say related to what they're doing. Now, the second time Paul contrasts Timothy with the false teachers is in verse 14. He says, again, there's two words, but you, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been reassured of knowing from whom you have learned them. Timothy, you've had my example, but now you need to continue following my example. And that word continue is interesting. It's, it's in the present tense in the Greek where it means it's a continuous action. He's saying continuously continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. And it's the same word that we uh, translate abide. You remember in uh, John chapter 15, Jesus talked about abiding in him. He said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He's the same word is continue. Continue, continue, continue. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who continues in me, 
He says abides, but I'm substituting continues. He who continues in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not continue in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you continue in me and my words abide in you. Now we're getting to God's word here pretty soon in our passage, aren't we? We're getting to the part where he's talking about a steady diet on God's word. Jesus said, if you abide or continue in me and my words abide in you or continue in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So it's not enough to have these examples in our lives. We have to continue walking in the pattern that's been laid out before us. That the example that we've received, we need to continue walking in those things as well. Some of us can go years in the Lord and have our relationship be neglected and we're going backwards and, and, and we're not growing and that's not up to us. God hasn't just given us the, the quote-unquote luxury to decide how mature we want to be. If we follow him and, and pray and seek him and continue in him and obey him, he leads us into the maturity that he wants us to have. It's not up to us. We can't say, well, that's enough. I don't want to be any more mature, Lord. He doesn't give us that option. And so we have to keep going. Now he gets to the word of God. And he says in verse 15, And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul speaks of the blessing of Timothy being raised in the things of the Lord. Who here has been raised in church? Raise your hand. From your childhood. About 50-50. What a blessing that is. I wasn't. I was raised in the Catholic Church for a little bit here and there, not regularly. And I'm thankful that I got to learn about that there is a God and there is a Trinity and there is salvation. I didn't understand how to have it um, and that God wanted a personal relationship with me. I didn't understand that. But I'm thankful for, for anything that I had. But some people have none of that. And Paul is saying to Timothy, remember, you haven't just had the example of me in your life. You've had the example of the word of God sown into your life. And he's already referred to his mother and his grandmother as being godly examples in his life as well. Now, what's interesting about verse 15 is that this word childhood is not the word that they would use just for a child that's, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old. It's the word they'd use to describe all the way back into uh, not just an infant, but even back when, it's, when, the, when the baby is in the womb. So as far back as Timothy can remember, you know, you just think of John the Baptist leaping in his mother's womb when, when Mary was there talking about the Lord Jesus and the Son and so forth. I mean, you just think of how far back God sows into our lives. And he says, from your child, from the earliest time, there, there isn't a time that you remember where you didn't have the word of God sown into your life. Because those scriptures are holy. He says it. He says they're holy. They're set apart. For a special purpose. And he says, from your childhood, you've known these things. You know, testimonies from people that have been raised in church, sometimes those people who have those testimonies think that they don't have a good testimony. But they have a great testimony. I mean, they're not ultra exciting. I mean, Pastor Chuck talks about having to deal with his addiction to Oreo cookies, you know. Uh, it's pretty funny. He have to struggle with that. Uh, but if you think about it, it takes just as much grace to, keep, to preserve someone and keep them on the right path than it does to snatch them from the, you know, the pit or the, the miry clay or whatever we say, the, 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 the depths of sin and so forth. It takes, we can't underestimate the grace that it takes to preserve and keep somebody safe in their relationship with 
the Lord. And he's encouraging Timothy in his godly heritage, having those scriptures sown into his life. And one thing it does remind us, and it keeps it before us, is the importance of raising our kids in the word of God. You know, sometimes we bring our children to church, and and that's obviously what we're supposed to do. But sometimes we can relegate the whole responsibility of discipling our kids to the Sunday school teachers and all of that. But we have, as parents, and some of us grandparents here, we have the responsibility to raise our kids in the Word of God. Their only diet can't be here. And, and, but especially with what they do have here, we need to follow up with that. What did you learn today? Did you do your homework? Did you, did you uh, memorize your memory verse? And what did your memory verse say? What is that about? And ask them questions. So often along the road in, uh, in, in ancient Israel, they would go and they'd ask things. And God set things up to where it would provoke children to ask questions. So the parents had to speak of those things and explain their history and explain God's faithfulness to their, to their nation and to their family. And so we need to have our time with our kids and our grandkids. And you grandparents, don't underestimate the influence that you have over your grandkids. Even how little you have them compared to your children. You have a huge, huge, huge impact on your children. Sow the word of God. And don't get discouraged about th- that you can't do it perfectly. God knows that. He knows that we're not going to be able to disciple anybody perfectly. Someone's, no one's discipling us perfectly, except the Lord Jesus, of course. And so take that time with them. The most valuable, priceless, eternal thing we could ever sow into their hearts and in their minds is the Word of God. But it also requires us to live the kind of life that lines up with the Word of God. We can't try to disciple them and have them here and learn these things and, and then live a completely different life. That will do more damage than we can possibly imagine. So it's a good exhortation for us. Now, one of the biggest verses in the Bible is verse 16. At least I think so. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You know, a long Calvary Chapel pastors wait to get to this verse as they go through the whole entire Bible. I, mean, I could hardly sleep last night thinking about this verse. There's so much here. So, but Paul is reminding Timothy that this scripture that's been sown into your life from the earliest time that you could remember, there's nothing more worthy to sow into your life. There's no shortcuts. There's no uh, you know, faster way to get these things that the word of God accomplishes in our lives. There's no better way. There's all these fads that blow through the body of Christ. Now we're into this. Now we're doing this. Now we're reading this book. And now we're nuts. Those things can have their place. But what can be better than going through the scriptures verse by verse and learning the whole counsel of God, as Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. He said, I haven't shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Now, he didn't have Genesis to Revelation at that time, but he gave them what was available at that time. And so the application today is the whole Bible. And that's why I focused, and you've heard me quote this many times, the mo- one of the most important words in verse 16 is the first word of the verse. All. That's, to me, I could just talk about all Scripture for a long time. All Scripture. That means that we need to go through the entire Bible, the whole thing. And God revealed the content of the Bible in the proportion in which he desired us to have it. So as we go through the Scriptures verse by verse, I can't major on things God doesn't major on. I can't minor on things that God's majoring on. I can't have pet doctrines. All we're going to talk about is prophecy for the next six months because I like prophecy. I can't do that. 
I can't avoid certain things that are not pleasant to teach. So if they make a law saying I can't teach against certain sins and I'm teaching through the Bible, you're going to be visiting me in prison. (laughs) Bring me good stuff, by the way. Bring me good food. But I'm telling you, you can't avoid what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that all of Scripture is God's Word. So why wouldn't we be going through it as a family, verse by verse? All Scripture. And you know what's sad to me? And I'll get off my soapbox. Is this a soapbox? Yeah, maybe it is. What's sad to me is you go to certain environments, where religious environments, and they make fun of certain books of the Bible. Don't worry, we won't be teaching Leviticus tonight. <laughs> Leviticus? Are you kidding me? Have you read that book? Have you seen how it shows the, the majesty of what Jesus did for us on the cross? How it all points to uh, the, the Jesus dying and how you have to come a certain way? We think that Christianity is narrow and that there's only one way to God. Read Leviticus. <laughs> there was one way to God back then. There's always been one way to God. Many roads that lead to God in terms of uh, standing before him, but you're either going to be at the great white throne judgment before God or you're going to be with him in, in heaven. And so all scripture, Leviticus is beautiful. Every verse, Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Now, we're not under the laws as Gentiles, but he's saying the whole scripture is inspired of God. Not one jot, not one tittle. You know what a jot is? We say, oh, I'll jot that down. It's become a verb. A jot is the smallest letter in the Hebrew language. The smallest letter. And a tittle is an extension of a letter in Hebrew. And so he's saying that, that that's, how, that's how far down you can zero in on how inspired the word of God is. The smallest of the letters is inspired. The writers, the, the, the scriptures are inspired. And, and we see that word inspiration there. It literally means God breathed. God breathed through the the writers to write what he wrote in Scripture. And their spirit and their life, Jesus said. And and they're profitable. Look at the word profitable. Is that the understatement of the ages? (laughs) The understatement of the ages. There's got to be a greater word. You'd think that for, for what the word of God does in our lives. But he says it's profitable for doctrine. That's understanding the truth about God and his kingdom. Reproof is what, how we're falling short. You know, Timothy's going to hear from Paul next chapter, convince, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and patience. They preach the word. He's going to say, not just preach from it, not just preach about it, not launch from it and tell 10,000 stories. He's saying preach the word itself. The liberals, not, I'm talk, not talking about politics, I'm talking about liberal theologians, say that the, word of, uh, the Bible contains the word of God. It, doesn't, it isn't the word of God itself entirely. It contains the word of God. And they are the smarty pants scholars that know the difference between what's inspired and what's not. And that's totally, completely false because the Bible says that the thoughts and intents of the heart are judged by the word of God in our hearts. That we're judged by the word of God. We don't judge the Bible. It judges us. So very, very important. And so he says reproof and correction. It's not just where we're falling short, but it's how to change. 
We need to change and then how to change. God doesn't just give where we're falling short, but he gives us the instruction on how to live, to put off things and to put on other things, to be filled with the Spirit, to be refilled with the Spirit, given the power to live the life that he's called us to live, to have accountability, to, have, to not have evil company corrupting good morals in our lives. I mean, there's so many things and in, in wisdom and instruction. I mean, the, we have a, you have a, a song book in the middle of your Bible, 150 songs, worship songs in the Psalms. That was the Hebrew hymn book. It was a Hebrew song book. And, and so, I mean, you just go on and on and on what God has provided for us. And, and he has a, a, a thoughts and intents for it in our lives. And he adds, lastly, instruction in righteousness. Instruction in righteousness. Not instruction in man-centered prosperity principles. <laughs> No, but that's ten steps to this, five principles for this. And we can have improvement and topical messages about God's word. I'm not, I'm not uh, criticizing that. But what could be better if you go through it in its entirety, then you can't hide from the things that are uncomfortable. I can't, as a pastor, get up here and, and avoid repentance and avoid hell and avoid these different things that, that God is stirring us up, wants to stir us up in so that we can be developed into maturity. And that's what he says in verse 17. Look at the result there. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's will for us is to be complete, to be spiritually complete, and to be equipped in some Versions say fashioned or outfitted, and that's really the idea, to be outfitted. You know, when you're uh, a kid and you dress up, you want, and you're dressing up like in a costume or something, you want every little detail. If you're dressing up as a cowboy, you want the right holster, you want the right gun, the right hat, you don't want any little thing left out. Or if you're a fisherman, you want all the, the right gear, you want the right, uh, I don't, I'm not a fisherman, that's why I can't. That's why I struggle at this illustration. I don't have the right bait or the right lake and the right... I mean, you want everything. You want to be totally outfitted. Or women, you want to be totally, uh, uh, you know, with the right accessories, you know, when, with your outfit. I mean, you want the whole package. And that's what the picture is. He wants us to be spiritually outfitted, to have all the spiritual accessories, to have all the things that we need to be who he's called us to be. And that happens through the word of God. And, and the examples that he's given us in our lives. To be thoroughly equipped. And then the, the interesting thing that's overlooked so much is the end of verse 17. Why? For what purpose? For every good work. We can read this verse and read it this way. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every comfort position in our lives. And to have a nice life of comfort and ease and self-focus. No. He says... The man of God should be complete and thoroughly outfitted for every good work. Is that work focus, focusing on us? Is the work that we're doing because we're complete benefiting supremely us? Is that what God has in mind? No. To bless others. We come among God's people and we wrongly think because of our culture and because it's been coddled in certain spiritual environments that when we come together among God's people, it's supremely for us. And it's not. It's supremely for God, and it's supremely for others. And yes, God knows I need to be developed into maturity, and that's how we, how we set it up in part, but it doesn't happen by me focusing on that and seeking after me being blessed. It happens through me focusing on my worship of God and me caring about other people, and that by itself develops me into maturity, and I become a mature, other-centered disciple 
That's what it's for. So as we close, he's given us godly examples in our lives. He's given us the word of God. And what he says to Timothy, he says to us today by the Spirit, continue in those things. Continue, continue, continue. Grow, get stretched. Be, allow him to prune and to break our lives. Nobody grows very far without being pruned and broken. To, and, and that happens through the word of God. It happens by letting it wash over our lives. It happens by looking at the godly examples that he's placed in our lives and to, to go after their example and to start being and, and, and uh, behaving in the way that they are in, as a godly example. And God wants to continuously bring us back to that because he knows that we need it related to our spiritual development, but also as things get worse and worse in this world and godliness increases out there and we have to endure like Timothy had to endure, it's going to be our lifeblood. It's going to be our, our, what keeps us going. And so he's building that into us and he doesn't want us to uh, reject it. Let's pray together. Thank you so much for your word, Lord, and how much is here. And we, can't, we can barely touch on all the things that are, that's in your word. We thank you, Lord, that you said, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And Lord, you know that's been our theme here since we've started this church. We thank you that it's your church. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you have been gracious with us in every way, in leading us and guiding us. We pray that you'd help us to use the godly examples in our lives and help us to be godly examples so that others can be blessed through our lives. Help that, Lord, and help us to give the word of God its needed place in our lives, that we would feast upon it, be grounded in your word, and to be able to test that which is laid before us to see if it's true or not, and that we can be an extension of you in people's lives because we know what you, you, know what you say. You tell us in your word, if any man speaks, let him speak the, the oracles of God. So we want to speak your words, but we help us, Lord, to learn your words, to learn your, your word uh, in its entirety. And we thank you for the privilege of being able to turn to it anytime we need it. In Jesus' name, amen.